Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about how to prove, air quotes, your authority. <laughs> I like the air quotes. <laughs> what does evidence of authority look like? And, and maybe even what could you do to create some of that evidence? To me, this is about proving your ideas, your point of view, um, that your solutions work for your target audience. Mm-hmm. We came up with a big list. We've got 10 things that you could strive for, I suppose, uh, or work toward to help. I mean, what it boils down to really proving your authority, I think, is is mostly about building trust with an audience and uh, somewhat, I suppose, somewhat raising awareness. But mostly it's about trust that you know what you're talking about and in a particularly in a mass media slash online universe it's you know you're not meeting face to face you don't get that sense of sense of the person necessarily so what kind of cues do people look to to basically trust someone that they've never met it's like i don't even go get a pizza if i haven't read reviews about you know what if it's going to be good or not so you think about the money and time um, and attention that our clients and buyers have to pay us in order to to get what we give them. It only makes sense that they're going to want to see some kind of external validation of right. what we're doing or what yes. you're doing. We've talked many times about, you know, like writing daily and building trust kind of brick by brick by brick with an audience. This is more like signposts, like a stranger would quickly be like, oh, wow, like this person's the real deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we put together a list of 10 of those things, and uh, some are bigger than others, but they're all kind of hard. And I think that's why they work as proof. Because if they were easy, everyone would just do it, kind of like saying you're a best-selling author without mentioning that it's in some sub-sub-sub-category oh on Amazon. Everybody says that on Twitter. Yeah. Best-selling author. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, so it, it needs to be hard. Like these signals, these signposts need to be difficult or everyone would have them and it wouldn't be proof of anything. It wouldn't be any indication of anything. So, Well, maybe we start with some easy stuff though. I sure. don't know about you. Yep. I like to start easy and then work up to the hard. Yeah, it's, I do. I think these all contribute to each other. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's, I right. mean, t- to me, the, the, the lowest hanging fruit are testimonials client 100%. testimonials yep. not famous people just somebody you've helped yep that was exactly yeah. where my head went to yeah yeah and in those testimonials i i like to encourage people to send out a particular set of questions when they're looking for testimonials from clients uh, and these questions are designed to focus the client's mind on results and not like how nice a person you were mm-hmm because it's like, it's great if you get, you know, oh, she was so great to work with, or he always responded to our phone calls. Super professional, you know, <laughs> fresh smelling breath. It's, 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 all, it's all nice. But I think it's more convincing, especially in a B2B context. I, I, yeah. I guess I'm thinking yeah. more B2B. You want to see numbers. You want to see doubled our sales. You want to see revolutionized our business in some particular way. Uh, we couldn't have done it without this person. Uh, changed every, you know, you want something that has some kind of business 
outcome that seems tangible to other business owners so that when a potential client comes along and reads this and, and assuming they believe, you know, they, it, it seems credible, they're going to say, wow, these are, I identify with the person who wrote this testimonial and those are the kind of results I'm looking for. And if this person could do it for this one person or these three mm-hmm. people or these hundred people, then there's probably a good chance they could do it for me. And just a, a sidebar is you want to use the testimonials that people wrote for you. And it's it's okay if you lightly edit them with approval from the person who gave them. But the thing I hate is when you go to a site and all the testimonials sort of look the same. It's so weird. You can you can like feel it when they've been over edited or when when the the person about how do you say this? About like the authority, like the person that they're about wrote it and then just got sign off. I, I don't, I leave typos in them. I'll, I'll leave stuff because I, I want them to be as real and, and authentic as possible where, you know, some have weird grammar or weird punctuation. I don't normalize any of that stuff. I mean, if something is confusing, I might, you know, if it doesn't make sense, then that's one thing I might change that or, ha- or ask them to rephrase it or something. But, but if you go to my, I have a wall of testimonials and they're they're clearly not written by me, you know. Like yeah. I, I couldn't even begin to have ever thought of all the different ways that people um, come at what essentially is the same topic, like my email list or my book or whatever. So yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. I think uh, it can be tempting to want to abstract someone's testimonial so that it applies to more types of people, and that's like the exact opposite thing you want to do. No, and and sometimes you hire like a PR marketing person and they just whitewash them and just don't let that happen. The grit in there is what makes it real and believable and and actually helps to prove your authority. Absolutely. Yeah. Related to testimonials, I I like the idea of clients talking you up. When you're talking to a peer and they say, Oh yeah, I had this big problem and so and so helped me solve it. Really? How did that go? Well, you know, it was dicey at the beginning because we had this and we had this, but it was amazing. It's like, and especially if you can get people to do that, I shouldn't say get them. I mean, they do it because they're excited about it and they want to share. Um, But if they're doing that, like at conferences, as an example, where they're chatting with each other after a, a presentation or during a break, it's clients chatting you up is, is another form of proof. Mm hmm. And, you know, it's sort of word of mouth. It, it might be referrals. It might be making introductions. Uh, there's another level of this that is really similar, but not quite the same thing where I hear about, and I see it happen to other people, but I, I hear about people will come to me and say, uh, I always ask, like, how did you hear of me? And they'll say like, oh, people were talking about you in this copywriter's Facebook group or something. And I'm like, oh, people are talking about me. And, <laughs> That's cool. And it's not necessarily customers. It might be someone who read my book. It usually is something like that. Like they bought something. But that is, I think, it's, it's really similar where like conversation is happening around your big idea. And of course, your name is going to be associated with that. So that comes up. But, you know, if people are like, hey, you should go to her website or you should sign up for this mailing list or you should watch this video or something. Yeah. And that can tie in. And like in that example, it ties into social right? Because people are being social someplace and they talk about, about you or your idea. And it's, it's really powerful. And it's weird the first few times it happens. 
It feels kind of weird, like, they're talking about me. And then you see your name tagged with something, and and then you realize it's it's actually really powerful. Yeah, right. Of course, the more famous the pe- person is, the better, but we're just talking about chatter. So it's like, it's like um, you know, from people who are not necessarily famous, don't have huge social media followings, and it's just kind of like... Uh, your idea is spreading and it's evidence that your idea is spreading. So the people who are exposed to that kind of um, third party sharing. So it's like, it's like not me pushing my idea. It's other people who are like, this resonates with me. You should check it out. I think it's good fit for you. It's like, it's very credible. It's more credible than me jumping in and being, Hey, how can I help? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and it can come from anywhere. I'm thinking about something as simple as um, the episode we had with Todd Tresseter. I think a lot of our audience wasn't familiar with him. And his episode was really popular because we talk about it a lot. And whenever we wind up talking about leverage, we mention that episode. And yeah, and it's, it's, it's for him, hopefully, that was a great introduction to a new audience that hadn't been familiar with him before. Right, which makes me want to riff on positioning and having a really clear sort of mission statement or tagline or um, sort of concise encapsulation of your big idea so that people can kind of be like, oh, the ditching hourly guy or, oh, the financial freedom guy or the DIY video gal or whatever it is or the be unforgettable gal, (laughs) you know, it's like... It's a positioning thing. Positioning makes it much easier for that sort of stuff to happen. Because, yeah, because it's like, um, I don't want to say your personal brand, but it, it's just it's just a handle. You make them a really easy handle to grab onto to hand off the idea to someone else. Well, and, and to do that, there, I always believe there has to be some kind of an emotional tug at it. Yes, it's about business, but it's the transformation ultimately. And so like, I'm going to pick on you for a moment with the ditching hourly. So somebody who's really struggling going, oh, I'm on this freaking hamster wheel. How am I going to get off? They hear that idea and they're like, oh, baby, water in the (laughs) desert, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's that that, that emotional uh, tug is really helpful. And I think a lot of times when we're experts at something, we tend to think the emotion doesn't matter, that it's, uh, you know, it's about how much we know and how smart we are, but it's that plus the emotion because the emotion helps to show people how much you care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, that starts to, starts to get into the difference between an expert and authority Mm -hmm. where the expert has all the knowledge and everything, but maybe, um, not a huge audience or the message isn't they're just not going for that they're just not going for like thought leadership let's get to the top of that mountain over there type of thing mm-hmm. this is good it's kind of like escalates from people talking about you in social or even traditional media theoretically you know people mentioning you in articles um god is there any kind of offline traditional media anymore i guess there is well yeah but it's we don't pay so much attention to it. I mean, well, the difference between is take something like Fortune magazine. It's still a big, it's still a big deal to get in the magazine. It's mm-hmm. not as big a deal to get on the website. There's a lot right. more content on the website. It's still a deal. It's yes, still but- a great place to be if that's where your audience is. But the magazine is still still has that cachet. I'm not right. sure they get more eyeballs, but it definitely has more cachet. Yes. And in fact, it's so different. We have a separate bullet point for the sort of scarce high level brand gatekeeper stuff. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so if, you know people are starting to talk about your idea in probably social media, word of mouth, maybe some traditional media, and that kind of can lead to more followers. Maybe it's more Instagram followers, Twitter followers, LinkedIn connections. Maybe it's um, YouTube subscribers, um, and it, any of those places. I th- actually, I think they might have just did they just take that off of Instagram? No, that was likes. I think, um, but if you if you are if you have like a really big social media following, it's, that's an indication to people that you're worth listening to or that the thing you're talking about is resonating with people. And, and maybe this new person who's coming along, who's checking you out, heard of you for the first time, they go to your website and they're like, oh, this person has a quarter of a million followers. Hmm. Something must be going on here. Yeah. Oh, I have a story about that. <laughs> so I have a client who writes pretty regularly and he got the, an email from this basically PR person about someone I'm going to call a social media influencer in quotes. He forwarded the note to me and I was reading it and I was very skeptical. So I went and looked at the person's site. They didn't have much of a much going on on the site. I mean there wasn't a lot of traffic. Then I checked their Instagram. And it was a woman. She had a million and a half followers. I took that very seriously. <laughs> and so um, as I was looking at the at the opportunity, they were, and he had a, a substantial social media following as well, but nothing on that order of magnitude. And so they were extending an offer to him to meet with her and talk about where their expertise connects. And he has some content and they were interested in showcasing some of his content on some of their platforms. So... I mean, it was, that just went boom. It was like the minute I saw that, it was a no-brainer. You have to at least talk to this person. So that's what that social proof does for you. And there are other versions of this. Uh, we're going to talk about podcasting and books in a couple of bullet points from now, but that's another place you can see, like, if somebody published a book and it's and it's got 50,000 reviews on Amazon, well, yeah, <laughs> that's... Obviously, all this stuff can be gamed and you can buy followers and things like that. But in general, it's uh, it, it makes an impact. So if I'm if I'm just hearing of someone for this first time, like we get pitched guests all the time for this show and other shows. And and one of the first things I'll do is like, well, all right, well, I've never heard of this person, but let me look around. And one of the things I'll do is is that I'll see how many Twitter followers they have. How many, you know, LinkedIn only goes up to 5000 connections, but um you know, do, if they have a book, is it on Amazon? How many reviews does it have? How good are the reviews? Do they have a podcast? How many reviews does that have? How many stars are they? What what things are people saying about? Have they been uh, on a podcast ever? Yeah, how many other, po- <laughs> exactly. How many other podcasts have they been on? What kind of podcasts? Are they super huge podcasts? Like, oh, that's interesting. All of this stuff is kind of, kind of s- cyclical. It's all kind of feeds itself in a hopefully an upward direction. <laughs> so we're talking about having a, a large social media following, but that could be lots of different things. It could be, it's these sort of online numbers that indicate how many people appear to be paying attention to a particular idea or person's idea. Mm-hmm. It can be gamed. The system can be gamed. Big picture, it's hard to game it. Um, I think the thing that's sometimes hard is figuring out how people monetize that and that's where the I feel like there's more gaming there. I'm an influencer. Send me these jeans and I'll wear them and take pictures and put them on Instagram and tell everyone how they make my behind look better. Oh, you're on to me. 
<laughs> was it. I didn't want people to know I was talking about you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. So uh, the next one up the list, this I think is the fourth one, would be uh, someone that's doing regular speaking gigs. And I would normally, the way, the way that I would consume this proof, I guess is the way to put it. <laughs> so if I'm sort of researching someone for some reason, I'm going to go look and see uh, how many, if, if I go to their website and there are a whole bunch of videos of them on stage or photos of them on stage, then that is going to affect my opinion. That's going to, it's going to make me think, oh, you know, like, they maybe they pay maybe they don't i don't care about that but people you know people are paying attention people are uh, conference organizers are putting themselves uh, on the line by trusting this person so my assumption basically is that it's sort of a low level third party validation where somebody trusted this person enough to come and speak to an audience and uh, again this can totally be gamed you can have people just do a photo shoot on a stage or whatever but uh, if you see enough of these and you play, you know, in their videos and you play them, you you get a feel for it. Well, and it may be a list. I mean, I've got some clients that uh, one in particular I'm thinking of who does so much speaking, they just do a list. So I mean, there's one or two samples and there's a sizzle reel, but there's a list. And all you have to do is look at that list or look at the logos and boom. I mean, it, it doesn't take more than a nanosecond to go, yeah, this person is on a lot of stages. Yeah, when I was doing mobile, I I was traveling, especially before we had kids. I was traveling all the time, and like I have a I have a hanger in my closet with like at least two hundred and fifty lanyards on it, and just like this <laughs> giant wad of lanyards. Uh, and I did the same thing. So on my on my website, it was just this seemingly endless list of places I had spoken. I, I would put public and private things on there, but. Um, you name it, Nokia World, South by Southwest. It was it was on and on and on. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, this this dude is he speaks. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's very. Um, I mean, it dep- I suppose it's. I mean, that's good for speak. If you want to do more speaking, of course, that's a good thing to do. But even if the person looking at that page is not like, oh, I'm looking to hire a speaker. Still, it's like people seem to care about putting this person in front of an audience. So that maybe is maybe it's someone worth paying attention to. I guess my hesitation here is that there are lots of people that are just getting started and they may not be niched yet. In other words, they, they may have a specialty, but they haven't figured out exactly who their client base is and, and they start local. I mean, a lot of financial advisors do that because most of their clients come from local communities. So if you look at their speaking list, it's not super impressive in terms of who they are. They're not instantly recognizable names unless you live in that community. But that's how you get started. And that's still, I think, if you're doing that kind of work, you want to be able to show that on your website so people can see it. Don't think, oh, they're just not this big name brand, so I can't put them up there. Is Start with where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So not to go on, we could probably do a whole show on speaking gigs, probably have. Yeah. <laughs> but absolutely, start with meetups, whatever. Another great thing to do is if you happen to live near any universities or colleges, uh, hit up the de- a department that would make sense for you to speak to the student body and and set that up because then that kind of a that sort of Brown University logo or Providence College or all near me RISD, you know that would be a nice logo to have on your site. It sounds I don't know it sounds a little bit bigger than like Monday breakfast with designers, <laughs> you know, at yes. local coffee shop. Exactly. Um, 
and they're pretty easy to set up. You're not going to get paid, but you might be able to have them, you know, maybe they've got some AV kids that will record it or at least take photos. It's a great look and it's good practice and you have to start somewhere. And if you do happen to be near local, uh, have colleges and universities near you, it's a great kind of uh, hack. It's a growth hack. <laughs> you can go. God, I hate those I words. I know. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, it's But it's, a, it's, it's pretty easy to set up. It's fun to do. And it's great practice. So definitely. And and proves your authority to a certain extent. There you go. Uh, let's see. What about getting big guests on your podcast? What about that? Yeah. So yeah, let's move into podcasting. That's a good segue from speaking anyway. So maybe you have a podcast. You should have a podcast, but maybe you don't have one yet. <laughs> it's definitely a big deal to get big guests on your podcast. So if you have not only is that helpful because you can inherit some of their listeners because if you get this big name on, they're going to probably share it in their with their audience or social media or whatever. But so that's a good thing just in terms of show growth. But that's not but what we're talking about today is just like, oh, wow, um, they've interviewed Seth Godin, for example. Like I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big uh, deal for us. Yeah. I mean, Joe Conrad, there's a lit, you know, James mm-hmm. Clear, you yep. know, so there's a. Uh, I assume that that pe- when people see that they're like, oh, these, you know, these people are Jonathan Rochelle are fairly serious about this, or there's some, there's some value here probably, or this other person wouldn't waste, have wasted their time. And I know that when I look at other shows, I I judge them <laughs> like if someone's like, hey, we want you to come on the show, the first thing I do is look and see what other guests they've had. That's the very first mm-hmm. thing I do. I don't yep. even look at the reviews. I don't care about that. I just want to see what list am I going to be included on in terms of like, right? So, yep. No, uh, it's true. It's human nature to do that, I think. Yeah. These are kind of two sides of the same coin. Guesting on podcasts that are very popular is similar. Again, it has the effect of expanding your audience because you're getting exposed to someone else's audience. But that's that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is like, oh, um, you know, I don't know, you were on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or something, you know, like something big, big mm-hmm. or Tim well, Ferriss. Yeah, Tim, exactly. Somebody like that. You're, yeah. So like all of a sudden you're on, you know, like, uh, let's see, uh, some of the guests, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Bill Clinton, and <laughs> insert your name here. I was going to say Rochelle Moulton. Yes, of course. <laughs> exactly. So you know, it kind of, you kind of, it's almost like a virtual version of hanging out with celebrities where it's like, well, that person must be, a, I just don't know who they are, but they must also be a celebrity, which I think was the, I think it was Marianne Faithful, her agent, like basically begged the Rolling Stones for her to be able to just hang out with them at some, it wasn't Marianne Faithful, it was someone that was another singer, female, and she just became famous by association. <laughs> It's almost it's almost like that where it's like okay the the podcast host is capable of getting super famous guests and they included you. So yes. what does that say? It's yes. almost like you're hanging around with these celebrities even though that's not really what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Well, and there's a subset of this which is not quite such a big podcast but big in your particular specialty. So, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of um, like uh, Michael Kitsis uh, in the financial community. He's amazing. And so a lot of people follow him, really respect him. He is a deeply, deeply respected authority. So 
being on a podcast with him is a big deal. If you're in that world, if you're uh, an actor, you probably never heard of him. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, I'm dropping like world famous names, but it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be in your little world famous. So like whatever your little world is, there are probably a bunch of rock stars, maybe not even a bunch. They're probably like six tops of like celeb level in your area. And you probably know who they are off the top of your head. Well, just go search what, what podcasts have they guested on and reach out to those shows and be like, Hey, I love the episode with insert name here. You know, Seth, I love the episode with Seth. I've got this marketing idea. I think your audience would really love. Here's what it is. Here's three different ways we could spin it. What do you think? Cool. Okay. Anything else on podcasting? I think those are the two, those are the two big things. Yeah, getting big really guests. Guessing or, yeah. Or getting big guests. Yeah. You're going on shows that are big in your niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is starting your own podcast, but that doesn't become proof for quite a while. Having a brand new podcast is not proof. Correct. That's a different, right? Yeah. That's that brick by brick daily yeah. email. Like, yeah. like, wow, this person has provided value to me over and over and over again for years. That's different. This yeah. is that, this is that, like, I just heard this person's name. Let me research them a little bit and see like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. It's not the, the proven built tr over time trust. Exactly. I think that slides us nicely into book related things. So, uh, of course, if you have a air quotes bestselling or, I mean, if you have a legitimately bestselling book, then you've kind of hit a home run, but you don't need to have a, a New York times number one bestseller to have a book be great street cred for you. So you could say like, you could just have a really popular book in your space that everybody talks about. And, and you know, this ties back to people mentioning you in social media or mentioning your book or your ideas or clients recommending the book to other people. It's um, one of those things where, if, you know, somebody says, hey, you should really check out this book and they go and check it out. And, you know, if it's for sale on Amazon and there's tons of reviews and they're very positive, then that's great. If I come, if I see someone's book on Amazon and it's like 99 cents or free with Kindle Unlimited and there's like three reviews, not so impressive. I mean, whatever, they're trying, they're starting, but if I get there and there's, like we said earlier, if there's 50,000 reviews and, you know, it's like four and a half stars, I'm like, okay, this person's onto something. Mm -hmm. Well, or if it's, if it's really hot, if the topic is really hot and it's a relatively new book and, and you know that there are going to be a great interview, there's those folks too. Sure. Yep. So um, yep, in terms of just like snap judgment, I'm like, oh. Yes. Um, lots yes. of, you know, a book that is clearly getting, uh, I don't want to say, yeah, probably read, hopefully read, but certainly purchased uh, <laughs> and talked about and commented on. That's very interesting mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, there's an element of, of social proof in that, but just hearing your ideas out there being discussed by other people and having that, that book change hands or the recommendation of the book. I mean, the best thing is when somebody loves it so much that they buy a bunch of copies, you know, virtual or physical, and hand them out to their pals. Mm -hmm. Love yeah, that. Yeah, that would be over the top. Yeah. 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 Another thing that's book related is that it could be blurbed or get some sort of testimonials from, you know, these sort of celebs from your space, whatever mm -hmm. that means. Right. So if there are, you know, um, rock stars in your area, and this is something that's, this is a very well-known um, 
sort of tactic, I guess, to, you know, for, for a year or two years, be building up relationships with the person who you want to blurb your book, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, so you're like, I know I'm working on this book, you know, especially if it's for a traditional publisher, it's going to take 18 months, probably. That's plenty of time to build a relationship with someone. Uh, you could be reaching out to a few different people who you really want to give you a thumbs up. And perhaps you could get their input uh, on an early chapter or on the back cover or, you know, some kind of some kind of um, something you could do for them. Who knows what, you know, whatever the thing might be. But you over time build a relationship because I can tell you when when I, you know, somebody's like, oh, you, you should check out this book or I, I see a, um, one of those people who bought this also read recommendations. If I see someone who I trust on the cover who's like, this is the best book, business book of the year. And it's, and it's someone who I totally trust, done, bought, purchased. Even with fiction, you know, Stephen King blurbs some new horror book and he's like, oh, I'm jealous of how good this is. I'm like, okay, I'm in. For me, it's more so with fiction because I think of business books, I can always scan them if like, if after I hear good things, but the writing's not that interesting or there's just one idea, you can sort of scan them. With fiction, I mean, you got to read the whole thing, right? I mean, otherwise you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> so I love recommendations for fiction. Cool. So, uh, so what we're talking about here is blurbs on the book. Um, there's lots of, like I said, there's tactics that you can use to get blurbs. They're very effective. And you probably, if you think about it yourself, dear listener, you can probably think back to books you've read by authors who you hadn't previously heard of that had some, some much more famous person or some person that at least was already famous to you, like right at the top of the front cover is just like spectacular book must read. And you're like, all right, I must read that. Yeah. And, and with book blurbs, it's also, um, I love your example of having two years to get there because we're connected. To, if you looked at, uh, look at LinkedIn, you're probably connected to everybody you need to get to blurb your book in some way. And so part of this is figuring out how do, how do you get there? What are the, what are the relationships that you have that get you there? And what are the ideas and, um, and ways you can reach out to that person directly? Where's the intersection of their ideas with yours? What, what, how can you help them basically spread their idea? Yep. Yeah. And I just want to hammer on the fact that they don't need to be like general celebrities. Like I have mm -hmm. a bunch of, I, I think I have two at the, at the right now, two, maybe three students who are putting out code books. So software development books about code. And I could list off the names of the people who, you know, like one of them just got this huge get for, to, for a really famous person in the JavaScript space to write the forward to the book. Right. It's like huge. But if I said the name, you'd know. Like, I wouldn't know who? it. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't I know it. Anything. I can guarantee. <laughs> right. But the readers, the reader, the people who need to be convinced, the, the people who need the proof are going to say, oh, wow, if that person is involved in this project in some way, I want to know about it. Exactly. Because the, these are not about vanity metrics. I think I want to make that point because, we, you know, we're talking about celebrities, quote unquote. It's not about vanity. It's about literally these building blocks in your authority. And so you want to find the right people for that. And in your JavaScript case, that's a much better choice than, I don't know, Prince Harry. Um, yeah, Oprah. It, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no relationship between those. So... Mm -hmm. 
Don't worry about the vanity. Focus on where you have those intersections with your ideas and the people that your readers, your target readers are going to recognize Mm -hmm. and, and appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so while we're talking about books, I think we're also kind of moving it. These all kind of blur together a little bit. Um, there's also this concept of third-party validation from a trusted brand. So while we're talking about books, we could say something like, um, you know, you got a book deal from Penguin Random House or HarperCollins or like a tough gatekeeper to get past. Or like you said earlier, you know, you got into the Forbes magazine, the print magazine. That's a tough gatekeeper. It's it's oh, there's a lot of scarcity. Is mm-hmm. that an oxymoron? Lots of scarcity. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a there's scarce resources there, so you you know they need to be picky. The gatekeepers need to be picky. And even if the book doesn't ultimately turn into a bestseller, the fact that you got through that gate is going to say something to me anyway. I'm going to be like, oh wow, you know that's impressive. So like, you know, I don't remember. I, I think it might have been Penguin that that published. Atomic Habits by James Clear. Even if that didn't sell a million copies, which it did, uh, I would still be like, good job, man. Like, you know, that's that's awesome. It's like uh, potentially, if it hadn't sold like crazy, it's like an indication to me that eventually he is going to have one that's going to sell like crazy. Yeah, they see um, a, a, an outside sort of good housekeeping seal of approval sees something, <laughs> right, yeah. in, in that book or in your idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And not to pivot too much away from books, I guess, but there are other sorts of these trusted brand gatekeeper type things uh, like traditional publishers or a newspaper or the Wall Street Journal, you know, on down the list. But there's other things like uh, maybe Good Morning America, you know, you show up on Good Morning America or you you give a TED talk, like a real TED talk. And it's like, okay, that's that's not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or um, there's some YouTube shows that are more well trafficked than uh, network and cable. Yeah, like if you show up on a Rogan, forget it. You know, it's like <laughs> rip your mentions, as they say. So it's this gatekeeper thing. So it's like uh, the Rogan thing, since it's it's not, I mean, yes, it's a brand. It's such a single person. I almost treat that as like more in a relationship building thing. When I think of Ted or Good Morning America or Penguin Random House, there's no person associated with that. Like, I don't think of a person who I'm going to build a relationship with. It's like this faceless oh, organization. Oh, there is. Of course. Yes, absolutely, there is. <laughs> if you want to like get this, on, you better have a producer in your corner. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're more experienced here, so we, you can perhaps speak to that. Well, it's, um, yeah, I'm just, I, I agree with the principle. I just think it's a question. There's always a person in there as a gatekeeper, whether that's an editor, a producer in the case of a show, or a personality of some sort. Even the personalities, if they're busy enough, they're going to have a gatekeeper before you get to them. I'm thinking uh, somebody like Marie Forleo, who's got a really popular YouTube show. She gets amazing guests. I'm sure that her team is hammered all the time for invites all the time, but they don't feel, some of them are personal relationships, but a lot of them is she read something like Stephen Pressfield. She read his book, The War of Art and said, I need to have him on the show. The guy who wrote the five love languages, she had him on because she actually uses that in business versus in relationships. So yeah, I mean, I think there's, there, there's always a, a person behind there. And the reason that I'm hammering on this is because 
that's where I don't even want to say relationships. You can have a great idea. You don't need to have a relationship. You have to, you have to have a way to get to them so that they will actually physically get your email. But what you need is a great idea. And then you need to be super, super helpful, but you don't have to develop a long-term relationship to, to get on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, there's the Pressford example is a perfect case that even happened to me in, in 2011 when I did that Jonathan's card thing, which I don't think we've talked about here. Um, I was getting like, I was getting interviewed on the radio and TV. Like I was just sitting there and like 10 emails would come up in my inbox, be like, Oh, we need to have you on the, we're going to interview you live. Can you call in right now? Like, <laughs> yep. You know, there's no relationship there at all. It was right. like, you know, it was like a news item. Yeah. It's, and it's, the, it's the idea. And so, yeah, just remember, there's always people behind all of these and, you know, you help those people get what they want. And what they want is something that's going to be really big for their principal if they're not the person you're going to be dealing with or uh, for their audience. Now, we sort of worked our way up and you can probably see that these things all feed each other and you can't probably, I mean, I guess you could jump straight to the top with an amazing book. Like, I don't know. That's, I guess you could. That's harder it, to do these days. It's, yeah, it feels a little bit like a lottery ticket to me. Like, it's possible, but why bet on that when you can just... I guess that's just my personality style. Like, it's just like build, 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 build. And when you see these opportunities to kind of like... Um, like this next level thing is happening. Like, oh, like people are telling you all the time that people are talking about you in this Facebook group or this LinkedIn group or something or... Um, Hey, I just want to let you know, I, I recommended a bunch of people take your course or something like that. And as that builds up, builds up, builds up into more, I do think you're going to eventually end up kind of rubbing shoulders one way or another, virtually, digitally, or, or maybe more directly with people who are already authorities. I don't know. I'm just, I'm sort of like thinking about this on the fly, but like that seems kind of like the end game here like where you've created this this ratchet that just goes in one direction, hopefully up, 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 up. And you're going to be getting on bigger shows with bigger, air quotes, celebrity hosts and other celebrity guests and, and invited to speak at bigger conferences and bigger and big. Everything gets sort of like the audience keeps getting bigger super, all the way up the food chain. Supersize me. <laughs> yeah. But I think it... it I can see that. I also think it depends because if, if your goal is to be an authority in something that touches consumers, then I can totally see that. If you're a B2B, then I think it might depend. I don't want to say you, you top out because you can have an amazing career and a very lucrative business, but you might top out in industry conferences as an example. But boy, you're speaking at those. Um, so yeah, it doesn't necessarily go to the other end, but it absolutely could. Yeah. So if I was, if I was going to rephrase that, it would be like, eventually you're going to end up at the top of the heap of whatever the, <laughs> the, the mountain is. Yeah. Your and heap. like you said, yeah, yeah. You want to be like the biggest fish in the pond or one of the biggest fish in the pond. So it's like, you're going to end up associating with the other big fish, I suppose. So if you kind of like guilt by association, build relationships with the other big fish, then that's certainly uh, certainly proof to an outsider that, oh, well, this person has a relationship with these other people. I've never heard of this person, but I've heard of all these other ones, and they're in the same groups. They're running in the same circles. So I guess I just never heard of this person. So if we're talking about, about that kind of snap judgment, you know, book by its cover proof thing of authority, 
it seems like that is where you do end up. Yeah, yeah. And there's also, there's a kind of, I don't know if you find this in the in the development community as much, but in the consultant community, there is this sort of role like the, um, the consigliere. It's the person behind the, the name client. And it's interesting that the, the easiest example I can think of is people who do executive compensation in big companies. So those CEOs and, and those, those compensation consultants are hired by the board. Okay. But a lot of times those CEOs really develop direct relationships with those consultants. And so you'll find there's a handful of consultants that deal with the quote unquote rock stars of Fortune 500 corporate America. So you'll see kind of that sort of association. It's, I mean, it's a little bit different, but they're, they're kind of behind the scenes. You'll see them quoted on, those are the people that would get in Fortune or the Wall Street Journal for an executive compensation quote. But you don't, they're really not known anyplace else. But they have this handful of rock star clients and relationships. Right. And they're yeah. behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. The person that came to mind when you said that was Gavin DeBecker when his name popped up in the uh, Jeff Bezos uh, hack, phone hacking scandal thing. And it was like, oh, I never heard of that guy. And he's not like, he's not like hanging out with a bunch of, I mean, he's not like a CEO of a giant publicly traded corporation, but he's associated with people like that. So when someone says, oh, like, I'm like Jeff, it's kind of like a client testimonial, but the client is like so famous, <laughs> you know, and has like so much on the line. Mm-hmm. If something like that ever happens to Bill Gates or Elon Musk, you like the first person is going to get the phone call. It's going to be Gavin DeBecker. Yep, exactly. So exactly. That's why I love this whole idea that we're talking about because there's so many different ways to get there and you can design it based on your expertise and your audience and your style. I mean, there's people who, who don't want to be on Good Morning America, but they do want to be at, at the podium for their biggest industry global conference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of different sort of examples and ideas here, I think, for the dear listener. And there's, you know, like, a, like, it's sort of choose your own adventure, like Rochelle said, you can kind of like figure out what thing is the most natural for you. And kind of, kind of wind your way up the mountain, if you want to use that <laughs> metaphor, to get to the top. Exactly, exactly. Birds of a feather flock together. Yes. How's oh, that for cool. that? That was really profound, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Real good. <laughs> <laughs> We're punchy today. Uh, yes, I'm sitting next to my two dogs. I'm afraid they're going to jump up and start barking at me, but they've been very good so far. I haven't heard a peep, Jonathan. Excellent. Um, okay. Well, with that said, perhaps we should wrap up for this week. Yeah, I think so. All right. That's it for this time around. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.